Welcome to New Destiny Christian Center's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Verdecchio. If you'd like to find more information about our ministry, please visit us online at www.NewDestinyChristianCenter.com. Destiny Faith. So we're going to talk about revival prayer, okay? We're going to start out in Matthew chapter number 6. So you can turn there, Matthew chapter number 6. You know, revival is the most important thing and, and the idea of, uh, of destiny. You know, we named our church New Destiny Christian Center because when you got saved, whether you realized it or not or whether you even voted for it or not, uh, you, you created a new destiny for your life. That God saves us with a purpose. That uh, it's the whole reason that we're not just going straight to heaven when we get saved. It's because God has a purpose for our lives to begin to use us, to cause us to be able to further the kingdom and do the will of God in our lives. And thank God we've had people over the years who have done that. I love reading uh, Christian uh, biographies and, and stuff about uh, great leaders of the past within the Christianity, and it never ceases to amaze me that God's number one people that God uses, are you ready for this? That the number one characteristic of the person that God will use is the willing. It's not the smart, it's not the rich, it's not the poor, it's not the dumb, it's not any of the things that so many times we say it is. God uses the people that are willing. And so when we talk about discipline and we talk about destiny and we talk about prayer and revival and faith, all those ingredients have to have one thing, willingness. And if you're willing for God to use you, He can take you places you never dreamed you could ever go. Doesn't matter what your mama said. Doesn't matter what your daddy said. Doesn't matter what your teacher said. Doesn't matter what your kids or anyone else says. If you are willing to do what needs to be done, my Bible said God is looking for someone. He's looking to and fro for people that are willing to make a difference. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter number 6. Starting at verse number 31. The Bible says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? The truth of the matter is, that's where most of us are most of the week. Yeah. Am I right? Amen. Amen. Right? Most of our prayer is filled with, What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? Verse number 32. For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here you have the Lord. This is in uh, uh, Matthew chapter number uh, 6, which is in the, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, he pulled aside the disciples, those who were willing to follow him uphill, and he said, here's the greatest sermon. This is what you've got to listen to. Here's Christianity in three chapters. They didn't say it that way because they didn't have chapters. But he got up and spoke, and we broke it into three chapters. Okay, And he dealt with all kinds of things in there, but prayer was one of the things that were vitally important. And he was telling them, you need to stop worrying. 
I mean, I, I, I'm better at it than I've ever been, but I, I was a, a, probably a, maybe a national level warrior. I don't think I quite hit the, the, the world level. Right? I'm going to say that I was, I was ranked nationally, maybe. Right? And I used to always say, well, it's because God made me logical, and so I was thinking through things. I was a project manager by trade, and so my job was to logically think things through and look into the future and, and, and get all the pieces of the puzzle together and make jobs happen. And so my mind kind of worked that way, but when it comes to the things of God, God says, no, I made you that way for this, but not for this. Worry will get you off of what God wants to do. Worry will cause you to do things that will pull you out of his presence and out of his will. Now I'm saying a lot of things in there. Okay, worry will pull you right out of his presence and it'll pull you out of his will. But I'm called. Doesn't matter. Once worry sets in, willingness begins to shake. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I'm spilling this anyway, so I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> Dr. Jim Richards, <coughs> he wrote, Those who stop seeking do so because they no longer maintain the confident expectation of finding the good outcome they once expected. Let me read that again. Those who stop seeking do so because they no longer maintain the confident expectation of finding the good outcome they once expected. The songs that, 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 that they chose today, and I, I never know what they do, uh, those songs were perfect for what I'm preaching today because they were songs about expectation. There were songs about believing God, that God can part the Red Seas. He can, he can uh, uh, call together the dry bones. He can do the different things that we talked about in there. And what those do when you're singing, you're actually worshiping, but you are also confessing the power of God. You're, you're confessing what he is able to. You're confessing that, that God is able to do all things exceedingly above anything that we can ask or think. And there's a confession that is involved. And that's a tremendous thing when you begin to rehearse and confess. But what you've got to begin to learn to do is take that beyond a worship service and begin to do it at home. Right. Do it in conversations. That, that when, you, that when you, 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 you were with somebody, whether it's from the church or not, that, that you go up and say, oh, Monique, how are you doing this? We call, bless God. This is the greatest week in the world. Why? Because God called me to do the work of the ministry. That God's called me to change people's lives. And he's going to set me up this week to be able to move. That God is able to do anything. And it doesn't matter that he set me up with a bunch of heathens at work. Because I know my God. And I know that God is capable. They'll hate me. But one day they'll run to me. Because they'll know that there's an answer. And the answer's above. And I've got the way for them to get there. There's a difference when you begin to confess what God says as opposed to what we feel. There are many times when I used to go to work and think, my God, these people hate me. They, they, they want to kill me. I had one guy at the, at the bench I was working with many years ago when I first got saved. He, 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 we worked at a, in, a, in a 
cabinet shop and you, know, you had benches that you worked at. And, and one day I was picking up something off the floor because I had dropped something. And when I picked it up, I looked up and I said, oh my goodness, look at that. They drew a pentagram on the bottom of my desk. And the guy that I worked for, he used to always tell me all the time, he'd say, yeah, I don't, I don't think Christianity is, is, is worth anything at all. If I was going to become anything religious, I'd become a, a JW because they're committed. Wow. And this was the, the atmosphere that I worked in. You know, and at first I was a young Christian at the time, and I thought, oh, God, I want to go, I want to go work for a bunch of Christians. <laughs> Anyone else ever said that? Yeah. I, I thought, it'd be better if I just worked with a bunch of Christians. And I said that to my, the associate pastor at the church that we were at at the time. He said to me, oh, brother, you don't need to work for a place with a bunch of Christians. You just need to turn those heathens into Christians. And so I changed. I began to think to myself, well, Lord, you can do anything. You can part the Red Sea. You can get these bunch of people saved. And, and one of them started coming to church, gave his life to the Lord. God really began to do a good work in his life and help him. Amen. Years later, the owner of the company, the, you know, the one that would mock me all the time, and he would hold, they, they, would, they would hold, uh, when his friends would get married, they'd have the bachelor parties there at the shop. Well, that's enough said. Right? You know, at night, I wasn't there, but I mean, it was just that, that atmosphere and what was there. And years later, I walk into church, and there he is, standing there, worshiping God. It was amazing. So God can do it, but you've got to begin to rehearse what he's capable of doing and what he wants you to do. Amen? Then I started praying, God, don't let me work for Christians. I want to work for heathen. Amen. Give me the lost. Yeah. Give me those, those construction workers that they can't say three words without F coming out of their mouth. Amen. That's the ones I want to work with. Amen. Amen. See, it's easy to lose hope, though, when you pray and you don't see it happening. All right, I'm, I think I'm preaching to the right crowd. See, it's easy to lose hope when you pray and you believe. You maybe even add some fasting to it. You take the word and you confess the word. And you don't see movement, it's easy to begin to lose hope. But this is what I've learned about God. God is about the long term. He's about staying in a fight until... He's about having faith when it seems like it's hopeless. See, God's amazing. When I read the Bible, I don't, I don't think I read sometimes what most people get out of it. I read of a God that almost enjoys getting you in a tight spot and then getting you out. Now, I know in modern Christianity, they say that you're supposed to tell people that when you get saved, everything's going to be better. God's going to give you money. God's going to give you good, loyal friends. Your family's going to love you. The problem is I don't really read that in the Bible. I read Jesus saying, praise God when things go really bad. When they hate you, don't worry about it. They hate me too. And he plays the long game. He stays in there for people who won't lose hope and will stand long term. The way Apostle Joel always says it is to keep scratching. Keep scratching and scratching and scratching until you, till you make the dent that God needs you to make. Amen. So there's something about hope that we have to hold on to. Hope is the confident expectation of good things. Confident expectation of good things. Now, 
this is all my intro, so just hold on. Life is made up of highs, lows, and then that flat section in between. My life's made up that way. Right? I have times where anyone else that, that's just, you're on top of the mountain. Anyone ever had those? Right? You're on top of the mountain. Seems like everything is working. It, you feel like you could say, God, I want to go find $10 today on the, on the ground. You walk along and you go, well, praise God, it's a 20. <laughs> he doubled my prayer. I mean, there's, there's seasons where it just seems like everything's going great. And you know what I found in my life during those seasons? It's really easy to pray. I, I love praying in, in seasons where, where it's high, where things are going good. You just like, bless God, I'm going to believe for more. But then there's other seasons where there's the lows. Anybody ever had a low? Right? There's low and low. Where it just seems like it doesn't matter what you do, it ain't working. And, and is this that period where it's so frustrating and so difficult? It might be hard financially or it might be hard with your relationships and friends. It might be hard uh, with, with your uh, gifts and talents and whatever it may be. It just seems like nothing will work. And, and what I found in those times is it's easy to pray in those times. I mean, there's something about being in a foxhole. And I'm not talking about a hole just out here in the yard. I'm talking about how a hole out here in the yard with people over there trying to kill you. There's something about that you can begin to call out to God and say, God, I don't know what my answer is. It doesn't seem like anything's, oh, Father, oh, God. You know, that's when you really learn about groaning in the yeah. spirit. Yeah. Oh, I ain't getting through this, God, without you. It's easy to pray and seek God in that time. But you know there's a season, and it seems to be the longest season of what I call the flats. The flats is kind of that not high, not low. It's just flat. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I get those highs, they're tremendous, but they don't last for a year. Some of my highs last for minutes, it feels like. But it's exhilarating. And then those lows, right? You get some of those seem like they last a year, right? But you get those lows that are hard. But the flats seem to just kind of go on. How many of you have ever driven across the country? All right, I drove across the country years ago. I was 18 years old, I was, or 21 years old, I'm sorry. I was, I was moving to Denver, and I drove. I filled my little Honda Accord with everything that I owned because there was a cute girl over in Denver that I wanted to meet. And uh, I, I took everything that I owned, and I put it in my little 1976 Honda hatchback. I didn't own much. And I packed that little car and I begin to drive west. Well, you know, when you drive west, right, you're, you're going through Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's kind of fun to drive through, right? You're kind of going up, and you're going, and you're turning, right? You're doing those things. It's, but when you get out to about Missouri, well, really Ohio, but we're going to go, for, we're going to, go to Missouri. And, and, and you start in, uh, in St. Louis, and then it just goes... You get all the way over to Kansas City, Missouri, and then Kansas City, Kansas, and then it goes. 
I remember driving through Kansas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember driving through Kansas, and, and I'm going along, and you don't think Kansas is ever going to end. And I'm driving along on I-70, and the road was a little bit elevated, and it just did this, and there was nothing but cows on both sides. You'd see the signs, Junction City, Kansas. Now, they probably built some towns since then. This was in a, you know, more than a year or two ago. And it, would, it, it just, you see these signs for Junction City, Kansas. I kept thinking to myself, praise God, I'm going to get to this town. You know, it's 50 miles and 40 miles and 30 miles of absolutely nothing. I got to Junction City, and I thought, I'm going to get gas, and I'm going to get something to eat. Now, you remember, I was born and raised here. I'd never, I'd never lived anywhere else. This is the only place I'd ever been at the time. And I'm driving through, and I get to Junction City, Kansas, and I think, I'm going to go. There's a McDonald's. I'm going to go eat a McDonald's. A McDonald's used to serve food. Today, it's plastic. But they, they used to be a little better than it is now. And I remember I pulled up at this McDonald's, and I thought, well, I'm just going to go to the drive-thru. And I pull into the parking lot, and I go up to the drive-thru, and there was a tractor in front of me. <laughs> Not a tractor trailer. I mean, you know, the big tractor with the tall wheels that drags it in the drive-thru. And I thought, you ain't in Kansas anymore. Well, yes, I was. But, I mean, I'm thinking this is just so, this is so strange. It's just flat and boring. There was nothing to see. Sometimes that's Christianity. Then in our walk with God, if you just live for the highs and the get out of the lows, then you're going to get pretty frustrated with life. Because it's in the flats where things really change and you set yourself up. It's in those flat sections. See, it's, it's easy to stay in prayer during the highs and it's easy to stay in prayer during the lows. I mean, David, right, when David lost his son to disobedience, he was able to get in there and bring the breakthrough in that low. When David killed Goliath, he was excited. But where David got in trouble was in the middle. It's in the middle that you get victory over the flesh. It's in the middle where your greatest victories are actually won. You just don't know it until the battle comes. It's, it's in the flats. It's in the sections where it's not exciting, where it's not fun, where nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. It doesn't, doesn't feel like anything's happening. It's in those times that you're actually fighting the greatest battles that determine the very future that you're going to live. It's in the flats. Now, I know it's not exciting, but it's where you win the battle and you lose the battle. The Lord spoke to me this morning. I was, I was in prayer, praying over the sermon. I always get up early on Sundays and I'm praying. And what I felt like the Lord said is there's many in the middle. He didn't use the words I had, but I listened to him anyway. He said, there's many in the middle. Many people get into trouble by trying to change things around them just to get out of the flat sections of life. Many of us get in trouble when we try and change our outward circumstances just to get out of the flat. That's where me... I made some of the biggest mistakes of my life. Right? I, I, I'm actually more of an adventurer than sometimes I let on. I like adventure. 
I mean, my goodness, when I was 20 years old, I jumped out of an airplane. I enjoy doing crazy things. I, I tell her all the time, when I, not all the time, but when, I, when crazy stuff happens in our lives, I tell her, Lord, this is, this is what the Lord wants to do. And she goes, you're out of your mind. It, it really, the crazier things come from me. I like adventure. And so when things get flat, I get bored. I mean, do you get bored? Right? You're like, something's got to change here. I've got to do something. This is, this is good for nothing. And it was usually in those times that I messed things up the most. Because I thought that if I changed the outside, if I thought that if I just changed something, that it'll get something moving. And it usually did get something moving, just not for the better. And a lot of times what happens is when we're in those flats, people begin to do crazy things because they forget God. And they get, they get the, the mindset and the idea that if I just change some of this stuff, then, then I know that things will change and be better. Right? And so you get people, they'll come into my office all the time. Pastor, I just need to make a change. Well, what are you thinking about changing? Well, I, I just, I don't know if I'm supposed to, I don't know if I married the right person. I mean, you'd be surprised, I've heard it. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, they're not born again, and I am, and so, you know, God says don't be unequally yoked. Oh, you already yoked. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I just, I wasn't listening to God then. Well, it makes you think you are now. <laughs> right? But they think if I just make this change, things will get better. I'm going to spice my life up. You weren't made for that kind of spice. Right? Or people come to me and say, Pastor, I just need to change my job. Well, okay, let's talk about that. How long have you been at your job? 22 years. Okay. When do you earn retirement? At 24 years. So you want to quit now? Oh, life's going to get spicy for you. A little down the road. You'll be kicking yourself and everybody else. Why do I quit that job? Can't believe it. Right? And so it's in that middle section where if we're not careful, we begin to, to change things. Why, if I just get a new car, those car payments last for six years now. Don't buy a new car because you just want change. Okay, so I mean, it's in, it's in that section where we can make those, those problems and those difficulties in life. So you don't want to make those, those decisions in that hard time. See, why did David defeat Goliath? Why did David, was it because he was a, an excellent marksman with a sling? He was. Was it because he just wasn't afraid? Well, that's part of it. But why did David, why really, when it comes down to it, to David defeat a foe that he had zero chance of defeating? It's because when he was a shepherd... He learned how to worship God in obscurity. When nobody was watching, when nobody even knew what he was doing, nobody knew that David would show up every day to prayer with a harp. And yet it was in those times, because David, as good as he was with a sling, didn't have the ability to throw that rock and kill that giant. 
You'll hear people say that. Oh, it was the, the you know, and he spun it and I'm an engineer. And I, no, no. The only reason he killed Goliath is because he knew God to the point to where when he let loose of that sling, that God took that rock and buried it in the giant's head because God was looking for somebody who had spent time in the flat section with him. See, when you talk about destiny, destiny is one in the flat section. That's where you enter into the call of God. That's where you really answer the call. Oh, I love when the anointing of God is here and the preacher's preaching and he's talking about destiny and you're going, God, I'll do anything. And you answer an altar call. And those times are important. And those times are life-changing. But it is in the flat section where you have to remember that anointing because you don't feel it anymore. That you have to seek God and say, God, I don't feel anything. I don't see anything. Nothing's happening, God. But I know. I know. Oh, I know what God said. See, it's in that flat section that you change your life. It's in the flat section that you change the world. That's where it comes from. See, there's nothing wrong with being in the middle. We always feel like there's something wrong. But there's nothing wrong with spending time in there. We're getting ready, right? Pastor Teresa had mentioned it on January 2nd. We start our 21-day fast. Right? And when God spoke to me and said, many in the middle, there are many in the middle. This is what I felt. You can write it down if you want, but it's easy to remember. This fast will determine much for many. Some will go up, some will go down. Some will go in, some will come out. This fast, this one, will determine much. And me saying this isn't going to change what you're going to do. So don't think I'm trying to pry your arm. I ain't got that ability. Ain't got that. Wow. (laughs) Me saying that will not change what you do. Because it's going to be a time where you're going to make some decisions, each and every one of us, on what we're going to do. Matthew chapter number 7. This is actually my main scripture. I'm 28 minutes into it, but don't worry, I won't preach for two hours. Matthew chapter number 7. And verses number 7 and 8. Jesus said, ask, it's still a sermon on the mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. Okay? And really what I want to focus in is, is verse number 8 there. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Now, when we're talking about revival prayer, prayer is an action. You actually have to do it, not think it. Prayer is not really supposed to be in your head. And there are times, I get it, but there's something about when it comes out of your mouth, when you speak it. There's something about verbalizing. 
There's something about actually saying the words and praying. And I've said over and over again, and you'll hear me say it all the time, if you really want to learn how to prayer, pray, if you really want to learn how to pray, come to prayer on Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock. Why? Because you'll be challenged. Will it be uncomfortable? Yep. You can count on it. Will Pastor Teresa give me the mic and want me to pray sometimes? Yep. I can't do that. Yes, you can. You just don't want to. See, the Bible says, ask. You have to ask. James, chapter number 4, verses 2 and 3. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. God's saying you got all these things that you're trying to do. You're trying to fight to get it. You're murdered or covenant. You're trying to you're covet things. You're trying to do all this stuff. But the reason you don't have it isn't because of any of that. You don't have it because you don't ask. And James just goes right in there. He takes that sword out and goes. But in reality, we take that as something that's hard, but he's giving us the key. You don't have because you don't ask. And then in verse number three, it says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. In other words, you're asking wrong. If, if the way you pray isn't changing anything, try changing how you pray. Sometimes we dig our heels in with what we like when a change can bring what we're actually looking for if we don't dig in too hard. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, we're really not... Christianity and, and, and the faith message and even the prosperity message isn't really meant to get you stuff. That's not, that's not the reason that these things are there. Right? Some of the prosperity where it's gone wrong is they've, they've said things like, well, if you're a Christian, then you should live higher than other people. You should own these things and, and the diamond rings and you know, these different things that they say that, that this is, if you just pray and have faith and you'll have these things and everything will be good. Well, if it doesn't line up with the word, then it's not right. And that doesn't line up with the word. Do I believe God can bless you? Yes, I absolutely do. But the Bible talks about doing the will of God ten times more than it talks about him giving you a Cadillac. It, the Bible talks about sacrificing and laying your life down. How many people are still reading through the Bible? Right? We're getting right down there towards the end now. We're pretty soon going to be hitting revelations and walking it all the way through. But when you read the Bible, what I read is, is especially when it's talking about Paul, but so many of the other ones as well, that it's just, God said, go here and I'm going there. He, he, he would do anything, lay his life down. He, he went to, the, to, what was it, Ephesians, I think, and he, or Philippi, I don't remember. But anyway, he said, I went there, and, and, and I worked, and I didn't, it didn't cost you anything. I worked. He was a tent maker. He would work all day long. He would preach. He would work. He would preach. He would do everything he could in order to help them, in order to do what needed to be done. There was something about him that just said, I want to sacrifice everything so that the gospel can be preached. There were other times when he said, save up an offering for a year. I'm going to come see you. One major part of prayer is asking. And what you ask for is important. What you ask for is important. 
Revival prayer asks for different things. It's not the bless me cub, but it's God give me what I need in order to do the gospel's sake. God's very, very pointed about what we ask in order to get it. See, it said, it said in the scripture I read earlier, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the other things you'll get. So he's not saying live poor. He's not saying all that kind of stuff. He's saying gospel first. Kingdom of God first. When you do that, he takes care of the other stuff. So when we pray, you have to keep that in mind. Give me what I need in this season to be able to preach the gospel. So are your prayers set up for your comfort or for the advancement of the kingdom? And it says if you ask, you'll receive. To receive is actually an action. To receive is an action. Has anyone ever tried to bless you? And you went, no, no, no. Well, three of us, I guess. Anyone else ever kind of, you know, right? To receive is an action. In other words, when we ask, it's God's desire to give us what we ask. But when we ask, we have to be willing to say, thank you, Lord. Now, what if it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like? You still have to receive. Now, he's not going to give us, when we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a stone, the Bible says. Right? But there is a receiving and saying, yes, Lord, I take that. It's, it's hard for many of us to receive. It's hard. Right? I'm one of those guys, I'll give you a clue into me. I hate asking for help. Good Lord, I hate asking for help. I pray about it all the time, but I hate asking for help. It just, it just something in it, you know, and all the time the guys will come to me, Pastor, I found out you did this, and they, they rebuke me, which they should. They go, Pastor, I found out you did this. Why didn't you call me? I hate asking for help. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and, and then usually God will say, for how many years did you pray for men to come into your life? Oh, God, I'm sorry. See, you have to be willing to receive what he's trying to give you. You have to be willing to receive what he's trying to give you. Right? I, I prayed for years for, for leaders, for people that would, that would lead me and help me. Well, sometimes what they give me doesn't feel good. Quick, swift kick in the backside. But I've learned to say, you know what, God? I asked for it. You're just trying to help me. All right, I'll move on. It goes on next to talk about seeking. <laughs> See, to seek is to look for something. Now, there's a couple reasons you can look at, too, I want to focus on. But you, when you're looking for something, sometimes it's because it's lost. It's lost. And so we begin to look. We have a situation right now with, with our, our, our one vehicle that we lost one of the keys. We don't know what happened to it. We have an idea what happened to it. It wasn't me. It was the woman God gave me. <laughs> So if I hand you the keys to the Jeep, I'm always going to hand them to you and go, this is the only key we got. You better not lose that. <laughs> but when we lost it, what did we do? We looked everywhere. 
I mean, have you ever noticed when you lose something that's important, you look places you know it's not there. I mean, there's no question that it's not in the, you know, I don't know, somewhere. I mean, you know, you just know. What's funny is, I'm going to throw you on the bus a little, I'm sorry. But what's funny is, is she drove home in the Jeep so we know it was home. Now, what's really funny is, I lost the second key to my truck now. <laughs> I don't know where that thing is. Because I, I judged her, and she's right. I won't go tell that part, but it's got to be fair. <laughs> you know, so when you lose something, you look everywhere for it. Sometimes within the kingdom, we lose things that we used to have. You ever lose the fire? You ever lose some of those desires? Some of those things that you want that life begins to crush you? That, that you're trying to serve God and nothing seems to be going right? And, and then when preachers will come in or pastors are preaching and there's something, the power of God's moving and everyone around you is going, Woo, I feel the presence of God and you're going, I used to feel it. Because you lost something. Well, the Bible says that if you seek, if you seek, seeking means you look for it again. You don't say, I used to, but you begin to say, I lost it somewhere, but I'm going to go find it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. See, to seek means that you're on your hands and knees sometimes. You're willing to crawl around in dirt and say, I've got to find it. I've got to find it. I lost the fire. I lost the desire. I lost the will to pray like I used to. I remember what it used to feel like, but I don't feel it anymore. And there's a seeking. See, the Bible says that if you seek, you'll find. If you don't seek, wave it bye-bye. Because it's not coming back. And whose responsibility is it to seek? You're the one who lost it. She got to find her key. I got to find mine. It's just the way that it is. But the other reason that you have to seek is for the yet undiscovered. See, there's two different circumstances there. One of them is I had it. I remember that season where I had the call and I had the fire. I had the anointing. And, and, and we, we, we got disappointed and we got disheartened and we got hurt and we got beat up. And, and all those things were true and all those things were real. They were real emotions. They were real facts. And we moved away from where God wanted us. We moved to another place, to a different situation, because we thought it would fix it. But after a few years, I began to realize I don't feel that anymore. I don't, I, you almost get to where you remember it, but you lose it, and it's not there. But then there's this also thing where you begin to meet people that have something you don't have. That's why I love biographies. I read these biographies of these men and women of God that they've got something. 
I can't always put my finger on it, but there's something that's there that I don't have. And it's very easy when you meet somebody like that to just say, well, that's their anointing. Well, God bless them with that. The truth of the matter is, if you seek, God can give you the undiscovered. When I begin to seek God for, for, for faith and, and the blessings of God, and things, God brought somebody into my life. And, and when I met this woman, I thought, gosh, she's got something. What is it about her? I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't, I couldn't grab a hold of it. It was like steam trying to put it in a box. It just, nothing I did seemed to work, but she had something and she kept needling me and telling me, God wants to bless you and do some things in your life. And I had to seek it out. I had to spend time in prayer. I had to say, God, I don't know how in the world I can ever get it. I don't know even what it is, but I know there's something in her life that I have got to get. And I begin to seek. Seeking there again is me or you going in and saying it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't ma- I've got to find the answer to the puzzle. It's yet undiscovered, but I know that God wants to do it. See, it's kind of like when I read my Bible. I read of Jesus doing miracles everywhere he goes. He just loved to do miracles. He did miracles when they didn't want him to do miracles. He would walk in and things would change. Things would begin to happen. And then I read Jesus dies and the disciples become apostles and all of a sudden, everywhere they go, miracles begin to break out. They're just trying to go to the temple. Just walking down the road, minding their own business. Silver and gold have I not. But such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And this guy goes, woohoo, I can walk. I see all through the New Testament the miracle working power of God taking place and it was simply because people were willing to go in and you say, I know, but I don't have that. You need to seek. I want to tell you, there is nothing like when you can pray for someone and see their life turn around. There's nothing like it. When my wife, when when I got saved, you know, she could could preach the wheels off of a truck. I'm telling you, she, she could get everybody saved. And I remember I, I'd go, I'd talk to people. We'd go out on, on outreach all the time. You want a successful marriage? Before you get married, do outreach. Anyway, we'd go out preaching. We'd go, we'd go street preaching down the 16th Street Mall, right? She just went with me. I liked her, but she just went with me because I had a black belt. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, I'd go up to someone. I'd go, oh, let me tell you about the love of Jesus. You know, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He just wants to come into your life. They go, get away from me, you fool. So I'd go to talk to someone else. Next time I'd turn around. She's talking to the exact same person. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I want to get saved. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I want to get saved. <laughs> and so I begin to develop the gospel but it, that it was because she was special. No, that was a lie. I just wasn't willing to seek the Lord to get what she had at that time. I've since done that. But my point is, we make all these reasons why we don't have. The Bible, the book of Acts, never ends. It never says at the end of the book of Acts, and it ends here, that we can all walk in that kind of power. We can all see God move that way in our lives. If we'll seek him for it. See, God loves using people that the world says can never do it. I think he finds great joy in it. 
And you can have it if you want it. Lastly, it says if you seek, you'll find it. If you seek it, you will find it. Now, sometimes finding requires letting go of what you already have. Sometimes you have to, see, there's always an action that has to take place, right? If, if you're believing God to do miracles, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to start praying for people, and some of them are not going to get healed. There was one guy I met, he's in Denver, he's a pastor today, but he said he was uh, in a hospital, and this guy was, was in there, and he was not doing good. It was a really difficult situation. He said, I'm sitting there, and the Lord told me to sing over him. He said, so I started to sing, and the guy died. True story. The guy died. So, I'm thinking to myself, I'd never sing again. I got the killing anointing. I took him out of his misery. But you know what? Since then, this guy has sung over many people, and they've gotten healed. See, he had to be willing, even though it, even though it wasn't good, he had to be willing to get back in there and do it. One part of my notes, but that is a true story. And lastly, very quickly, it talks about knocking. It talks about knocking. Now, knocking is one of those interesting things. We think that's what a knock is, and it is, right? You can ask and you can seek until you come to a place where you're presented with a door. And a door is simply an opportunity. And the thing about doors, I almost asked Paul to give me a door today, but I knew I wouldn't have time to do it. But the thing about doors that's interesting is a door is a portal from one place to another. Right? I'm in here. If I go through that door, I'm in the hallway. It, it's, it's a change when you go through a door. Right? But there are many doors that you approach. It doesn't say to go through the door, it says to knock. And when we ask and when we seek, what I found in my own life is eventually God brings you to a place of opportunity where there's a door. And there's a few things that happen when you come to a door or an opportunity that God gives you. First one is you actually have to make a decision to knock. Who here has ever gone door to door preaching, talking to people at their homes? Have you all gone to a door and thought to myself, don't answer, don't answer, don't answer. <laughs> Am I the only one that's done that? Right? <laughs> You're praying in tongues. <laughs> See, the act of knocking means that you're looking for a response from something or someone. Okay, so the first thing you have to do is to be willing that when you come to that door that you're going to work up the nerve. So you've, you've asked God, I want destiny, I want revival, I want things to happen. You sought God, you want the power, you've got in there, you've got to that point. But all those things always work together where God says, all right, now we're going to test that thing. We're going to see whether you're willing to do it. So you can ask and you can seek, you can receive what you're asking for, you can find what you're looking for, but then God says it's time to put it into action. Here's a door. 
What are you going to do? Lots of people get to the door and never knock. I know, I can't tell, that's why the Bible says that there are many called and few are chosen. That, I, that I've watched men and women over the years that would seek God, that would do everything that they needed to do and literally come to that ploy, place of choice and they begin to do the calculations. Do I really want to knock on that door? And many there be that say, you know what? I'm good on this side. God loves them. They've done tremendous to do those, but there's an adventure on the other side. And there's something about when you knock that the Bible says it'll be opened unto you. There's something about when that door begins to open and you walk through. Sometimes it's a culmination of a lifetime. I read a story this week of a guy. He was a, uh, he was a Methodist preacher in uh, Norway. And uh, he was Norwegian by birth. And he had gone there and he was, he was preaching and all. And he had come to America to raise money, basically. This is back in late 1800s, early 1900s, I think. And he came to America to do it. And he's in New York City. And somebody told him, well, brother, have you heard? of the revival taking place in America. And he said, I've not heard of such a thing. What is it? And they said, well, now we've never been there, but there's this place in California called Azusa. And they say that people are getting filled with the Holy Spirit and praying and speaking in tongues and miracles are taking place. And this guy had a decision to make at that point, and so it said that he took a letter and he wrote, to the Azusa Street people and said, what must I do? And they said, well, brother, two things. You need to seek the blessed promise and then we'll pray for you. And he went into God and he began to pray and said, Father, I want it. He left New York without it. Don't you hate stories like that? You think he got it in the power of God? No, he left, he left New York without it. He went back to Norway. But he began to preach about the Holy Spirit. Here's a guy that had never been filled with the Holy Spirit. He'd never prayed, for, uh, he'd never prayed in tongues. He'd never done any of that stuff. And he began to believe it so much that he began to, in his congregation, his Methodist congregation, begin to pray for people. Filled. 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 They just begin to get filled, one after another, after another. Finally, after like two months, he finally went into God and said, uh, you know, Lord? And God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And it talks about how that region began to be moved and stirred with the power of God. Why? Because when he heard, a door was presented and he walked through. It didn't look like he thought it was going to look. It didn't feel like he thought it was going to feel. The response wasn't the response he thought he'd get. He told his, his, uh, the, the people that were over him in the Methodist church, they said, how much did you get? He said, I got all that I can handle. They thought he meant money. They said, no, well, how much is that? He says, well, I got exactly what Acts chapter 2 says. I got it flowing and filled, overflowing. 
They go, well, you didn't get that from us. They threw them out of the Methodist church. See, sometimes when you go through the door, it doesn't look like you think it's going to look. I'm sorry to tell you, on the other side of that door sometimes, it looks a lot different than where you're at. But that man had the power of God begin to move in Norway. He left that denomination and began to preach and see the fire of God move. He ended up moving to England and going to that place. When he came to England, it was a nation that they didn't want what Evan Roberts had. Evan Roberts tried to bring the, the anointing and the power of God and the Holy Ghost. They didn't want it from Evan Roberts. But when this man came, they begin to respond in droves and the power of God begins to move on. And one day, there was an ignorant plumber that was sitting in one of his meetings in England. That plumber was Smith Wigglesworth. The other side of that door contains such mysteries and such an anointing and such a power. But there's no other way to put it. You've got to ask You've got to seek God for what you don't have, whether you lost it or you never had it. But then when that door is presented, only you can knock. Only you can be bold enough to say, whatever awaits me on the other side of that door, I'm going through. I was telling my wife today, you know, if, if I'd have had my, what, what I wanted, if I'd have had what, what I would have thought is what God wanted, And honestly, today, I'd still be living in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'd probably have a nice church down there. Probably have all kinds of money because we were doing a lot of real estate stuff. It was a great place to do that. There's probably a lot of things that I would have had. But see, God presented me with a door. And it was up to me to choose. Now, don't take me wrong when I say that. There is no place on planet Earth I would rather be right here but I didn't know that then I had to be willing to make a chance take a chance of losing everything that I knew to discover the wondrous move of God that God's doing here but I had to walk through the door in your life you're going to have to make decisions and walk through doors they'll never be convenient they'll never be easy destiny doesn't come easy it's not pretty most of the time, but I'm here to tell you, God wants to do such a work. He's just looking for some people that'll go, you know what? I'm in. Amen? Amen. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. They'll be looking around for just a minute. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. You've never given your life to Jesus. Today, the Holy Spirit's here. And salvation, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if you'll open the door, he'll come in. But you have to be willing to open that door. Say, Jesus, I want you. You're here and you're not saved, but today the Lord's dealing with you. You'd signify with an uplifted hand, we want to pray for you before we go on. Maybe you're here and you're backslidden. Somewhere along the line, you've made decisions. You've walked away from the Lord, but he stands ever ready to come back in. Unsaved backslidden, you're not right with God for any reason, but you want to get your heart right. Don't let this, don't let this time pass.
you'd signify it with an uplifted hand so we can pray for you. Anyone at all. Just put your hand up, put it right back down. And I believe there are many that are here. Because I know that the Lord said there are many. Many in the middle. That God's dealing with you. I'm not, I'm not preaching salvation stuff. I'm not saying if you don't choose to that you're going to hell. What I'm saying is there's a destiny that awaits you. And all I can tell you about the mystery is it's the greatest discovery that you'll ever have. But there's nobody that can do it for you. There's nobody that can press through. There's nobody that can make it cost less than it's going to cost. There's nobody that can make it anything except for you trusting and you following God. And I know that there's a, 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 a God is dealing with, with many that are here about kicking yourself out of the place that you find yourself. That there are many that are here that have lost what they had even a short time ago. Oh, you may come to church every service. You may serve. You may come to prayer. You may do all that stuff, but you know there's something that's lost. Something that's not what it once was. God says you can find it. It's within your power. But you have to be willing to do it. We're going to stand to our feet. And I really believe that there are some people that are here that God wants to shift some stuff in your life. We're going to stand to our feet. If you want prayer, these altars are open. Let's just worship God. Hallelujah. You know, I know that when God put it on our hearts many years ago to name this church New Destiny Christian Center, the reason is because we are a church of destiny. But the destiny doesn't rely or lean solely upon myself and my wife. But destiny always plays interactively with each other. And anything we do is because people begin to sacrifice and give their lives. Hopefully our example is that they would see and begin to step out themselves and begin to enter in. Because what God wants to do in, in the Delaware Valley is far beyond certainly what two people can produce. But I know with the people God has given us and the ones that are yet to come, we're going to see such a dynamic move. We already are. But He's going to lift the lid right off of this building. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't forget, Tuesday night we do have prayer. And so come, be a part of prayer. Amen. It's revival prayer. It'll help you. It'll change you. It'll teach you. Wednesday night we have service at 7 o'clock. Amen. God is doing such great things. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. I thank you, Father, for each and every one. That your hand is upon them. That you're blessing the work of their hands. That you're leading and guiding every step that they take you're anointing the words of their lips and that Father you protect them and bring them back safely in Jesus name. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor David Verdecchio of New Destiny Christian Center. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com.